ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Shore Sports Network podcast, football edition, the Shore Football Report. As we head into week seven of the Shore Conference football season, the second week of October, busy time around the Shore, and we are coming off a an eventful week six, to say the least. We had upsets, we had division titles being clinched, um, some of which uh, were programs that had not accomplished such a feat in a very long time. We had huge statistical performances, unexpected huge statistical performances, and a lot more to get to. So I'll welcome in my buddy Scott Stump as uh, we try to break it all down. So, yeah, Scott, I mean, it was, it was a wild weekend. You had a great line. You texted me. It's like there's always that one weekend that just explodes the rankings and the standings and all that, and it was this past weekend. Yeah, it's so true that you think you have everything figured out in your head. This is how the season's going. This is the storyline for all these teams. This is what's going to happen. And then there's always that like total curveball out of nowhere. Like what that team beat them. Like, you know, and then, <laughs> and then you know, other things, and then you go, how are we even going to figure out the top 10 after this? You know, how are you going to move things in that? But I think that adds so much spice to it. Yeah. It's a headache for you doing the rankings, but for fans, yeah. it's fun because they can they're going arguing. Well, I think it's this team, or I think they should move up or down. I think all of that. So it's definitely spiced up the opinion of how, especially the, you know, who's that number four team in the shore now um, yeah. after Point Borough goes down, and certainly certain teams made big arguments for themselves to be that team. Uh, one in particular, I think that's the game to start with. You were at that game in your uh, Gorton's Fisherman gear. On Saturday, undefeated Jackson Memorial, undefeated Marlboro showdown. And I mean, we we pitched it as a defensive battle, and it certainly was that. It absolutely was. And you're not kidding. I was dressed. I had the rain pants, the rain jacket, the duck boots. And it rained. I mean, it poured on my way there. And I was going, oh, please, no. And then it rained for a little bit, and then it was completely dry. So it actually worked out pretty well. But in terms of the game, yeah, it was a defensive slugfest. And you know, slugfest in all caps. <clears throat> there was some hard hitting on both sides. It was an extremely physical game. It was very chippy early on. There was some penalties later in the game. You know, nothing that got out of hand, but it was one of those, you know, this is a huge game and you're in my way. So we don't like you today. And uh, at the end, it was Marlboro coming out with an 11 to two, very common football score. Yeah, that's a very like uh, Rangers Orioles score. <laughs> I joked with Marlboro uh, assistant coach Jimmy Papali at the half. I said, look, you just got to locate the fastball better and stop giving up those two-run homers. <laughs> they were down 2 nothing at the half. But yeah, this was a massive victory for Marlboro and their program. And I wrote as much in my game story on shoresportsnetwork.com. It's a program that prior to 2021 had not had a winning season since the 90s, since the late 90s. And now three years later, they're 6-0, and and they've earned at least a share of the Freedom Division Championship with that victory. And it was all defense. You know, it was a grind offensively for both teams. You know, both teams knew that going in. And Marlboro just didn't give an inch. The only points they allowed was on a, you know, a safety when a, a snap on a punt went out of the end zone. You know, Jonah Glenn had, you know, one of the best, you know, players in the shore uh, from the running back position, almost 1,000 yards coming into the game, averaging over nine yards a carry was just coming off a 274-yard rushing performance. They held him to 44 yards. Jackson had 116 yards of offense. Just nowhere to go. Clutch stops. Mike Consolazio, 
you know, he had that, that six sack game and I was joking, uh, you know, you know, Hey, six sacks, but what have you done besides that? No, he's been really good in every game. He had two more sacks, four tackles for loss. There's Marlboro teams for real. And, and they proved it on the field. Yeah. I'll come out with my hands up. You know, I picked Jackson in that game and I, cause I just really thought, wow, no one's been able to slow down Glenn all year. I think the thing that was most impressive, the 44 yards remarkable, but how few carries mm-hmm. he had which means Marlboro dominated a lot of the possession. Like Jackson just didn't have that many plays to even give Glenn the ball or sustain drives long enough to get him the ball that often. Jackson ran 11 offensive plays in the second half. And that was mostly, I mean, it was a combination of a lot of things. First of all, Marlboro was able to sustain some long drives. They drove down the field, 60 yards, 10 plus plays to begin the third quarter. Um, They forced the three and out, got the ball back, had another drive, kicked the field goal, and then an amazing special teams play uh, by Cameron Nash, who, if you haven't seen the highlight yet, check it out. It's with, it's on the story. You can find it on, on my Twitter account as well. You know, they do a pooch kick with Luke Rubin, their, their outstanding senior kicker, and two Jackson players are trying to converge on it. You have one player going back, so his back is to the play, and they're up men. So they're not returners. They're not, you know, versed in the nuances of the return game. And Nash just comes in and the kid bobbled it for two seconds and it's right in his hands going the other way. So that's another possession, which they're able to just bleed some time off the clock. So yeah, they Jackson really just didn't have the ball at all in the second half and Marlboro was able to map their comeback. Yeah. I mean, first division title, or at least a share of the first division title since 1994. That's amazing for the Mustangs. And in the process, they clinched their third straight winning season, which has never happened in the history of their program either. So they've really shown they weren't just some one-year wonder or two-year, you know, it was one good class. They have really started to build a strong foundation there. Matt Cassidy did Matt Cassidy things in that mm-hmm. game. You know, he scored the lone touchdown of the game. Obviously, he was great on defense as part of that effort. But yeah, Marlboro is for real. And it's wild because in the preseason, I think if you looked at the Marlboro Rumson game coming up this week, you mm-hmm. think, ah, you know, that might be something. And now that's shaped up to be a huge game because Marlboro's essentially, you know, thrown their hat in the ring to be the number four team in the Shore Sports 16, like to replace Point Borough. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a very good chance. And by the time this, this podcast is out and you're listening to it, um, the, the new shore 16 rankings probably out or pretty close to it. So yeah, there's a really good chance. Marvel's going to be ranked ahead of Rumson going into this game, you know, a, a great chance. So who saw that coming? And it's a crazy thing. That's now a common opponent between Rum, uh, point Burrow and Marlboro. They will have both yes. played Rumson. That's very true. So we'll be able to really, you know, get some definitive answers in terms of that. The one thing that really stuck out from, uh, for me watching Marlboro and I got these vibes last season when I covered their playoff win over Washington Township. They don't look like a team that has struggled for most of their existence and all of a sudden has risen up and had a few good years. They play like they've always been this good. And I think it lends to the the group of players they have. You know, Matt Cassie had a great quote to us after the game where he said, "We they were so, this group was so good when they were younger and so close that if you told them that when they were in high school, this was going to happen. They would have been like, yeah, of course, because like they don't know any better. So they have that belief and they've ex- experienced success, you know, since their sophomore year, talking about a seven win season, you know, three years ago, a six win season last season that included the playoff win. And now this year, six and oh, and at least a share of a division title. 
And now, you know, you're going to be a top five team in the shore. This team believes they're playing, you know, like they are uh, a championship contender. And it's fun to watch because we, for so long, it's been the same teams every year. Uh, and to see a team like Marlboro rise up and legitimately, you know, a a championship contending team, it's pretty fun from from my perspective. And there's something to be said for the intangibles of keeping a group together from when these kids mm-hmm. are like eight, nine years old all the way until now. Because that belief in each other and the fact that, you know, they're not going to get down on each other if something goes wrong during a game because they've been through so much together – there, that that's an important intangible to have. Uh, so I think that's really benefited. In a weird way, they actually remind me of their boys' basketball team, which in recent years had their own rise from obscurity and a lot of losing seasons with their own group of players that also played together at the youth level and won a ton of games at the youth level. And that translated to high school where they thought the same thing. It's not weird for us to be out here, you know, beating CBA or being in the Shore Conference Championship because we were that good when we were young. Like this has continued that we didn't get that mentality. That's plagued a lot of our former generations of the athletes at this school, you know, where we've struggled and it's always an uphill battle, you know, that, that confidence as we've seen a million times confidence at the high school level can make players do things that you would never have thought of necessarily Mm -hmm. just looking at their roster on paper, but it's crazy how now football has followed a similar timeline as basketball in Marlboro you know, Marlboro is more known for years for the the individual sports, you know, tennis, you know, golf, those kind mm-hmm. of things. And now their team sports, their baseball team's been really solid too. You know, their their wrestling teams had some good individual guys here and there. So the the sports at that school have really taken a jump forward in the past, especially the two major ones in football and basketball. And a huge credit to Jason Degato, Marlboro's head coach and his staff. You know, Degato's been there for a long time now. You know, head coach in 2013 came on, was an assistant before that. It's not too often that a coach, you'll have the same coach go through the struggles and slowly build it up because either the administration will look to move on or that coach will just say, listen, it's not going to happen here. And, you know, they'll move on themselves. He stuck with it. And those early years are really difficult. You had some winless season, a one win season or two win seasons. And they just kept building and trying to build that culture they believed in and, you know, doing the grassroots work and trying to get kids to stay and, you know, preach what they were trying to accomplish at the high school level. And you see it pan out now. So in that aspect, it's also a really good story. And what a week it was for the Freehold Regional District football <laughs> yeah. teams. Well, let's get to the big one. The one that basically had everybody refreshing Twitter or wherever you get your updates from like, oh, my God, this is really going to happen. Manalpin stuns previously unbeaten point barrel by a point in a uh, a huge divisional game not necessarily one that people might have seen coming you know one of those transitive property games well this team beat that <laughs> team so this team should obviously handle that team but it didn't work out that way I mean Manalpin had been skidding what did they lost three in a row yes yep and they come out and they just absolutely shock point barrel 24 23 and the a point bro team that had been averaging over 40 points a game coming into this game. Yeah. And was just coming off a huge win over Rumson Fairhaven the week before uh, talking to, uh, you know, a handful of Manalpin, your supporters, coaches, your people around the program that, you know, this is a team that's won a sectional title every year. It seemed like it was 10 and two, 11 and one playing in massive games, you know, beating teams like Middletown South to win division titles. 
And they're saying this is a, one of the top three or five wins they've ever experienced because of the circumstances. You know, the team had really been struggling. Point Burrow comes in as this juggernaut. And then the way it happened, back and forth in the second half, Point Burrow goes up 23-18 with about five minutes left. Manalpin comes back. You know, their sophomore running back, Asir Wolfolk, a thunderous 55-yard touchdown run. He had a huge stiff arm to break himself free for the go-ahead score. And then an interception by Dennis Gabinelli when Point Burrow's trying to drive a tip pass. He's able to snare it. So the dramatic nature of which the Braves won the game, that's the kind of game that really can turn around your season and looks like it, it's going to from an Alpin in terms of getting the momentum back and also the massive haul of PowerPoints they got from this game. So we'll run through the numbers. Wolf Oak, 135 yards rushing in that go-ahead touchdown, which came with 334 left. And their junior quarterback, Ryan Darty, you know, 11 of 12, 157 yards passing, two touchdowns, through a two-point conversion. Aiden Wilmot had a huge stop of a point per two-point conversion on the Panthers' last touchdown, and obviously that ended up being big in a one-point victory. Jake Horowitz with a 35-yard field goal, so just a massive team win for Manalpin, and certainly a stunner based on you know all those, you know all the circumstances we just outlined. Yeah, and what it also did was vault Manalpin back to 15 in the uh, United Power Rankings in South Florida after they looked like they were on the outside looking in playoff-wise. So, like you said, that was a crucial win for their postseason hopes uh i i just thought you know it almost was like one of those games where you see it and you go well if they could do that how did they lose these other games yeah you know so i manalpin is just kind of like the uh the agent of chaos in the shore conference <laughs> like they could show up and beat anyone they could lose to teams that are struggling like they're all over the place but clearly they showed when they're on their game and when they do execute their game plan they could be as good as any team in the top five in the short. Somewhere there's a Manalpin fan or coach or somebody going to the t the one day t-shirt printer with agents of chaos to put on a shirt because that is on the money. It's absolutely what they have been. And uh, you know, kudos to those guys. You know, we have a great relationship with you know Dom Lapore and a lot of their coaches and supporters, but man, they destroyed the rankings with that win. And look, that's what they wanted to do. Hey, let's go out there and and shock the shore, and they certainly did and, and completely turned around their season. It's it's really hard. You're not going to shut down that point for our offense completely. And Matt Olfant, their quarterback, still ran for 161 yards and two touchdowns and threw a touchdown in the loss, but they did enough. You know, you, you don't want to – what has Point Burrow done this year? You know, they've got on teams quick and turned close games into blowouts. I mean, Alpin never let that happen, and they were able to make a clutch play at the end of the game. Yeah, and that's the thing. Manalpin kept answering. You know, mm -hmm. when has Point Borough in the fourth quarter been trailing and had to make a drive to take a lead? It hasn't happened all year until this game. So the fact that Manalpin kept putting the pressure on them by scoring in, like, you know, I'm sure there's been, there were times where Point Borough took the lead and thought, we got him. Like, now we finally mm -hmm. were ahead. Like, we got him. And Manalpin came back and kept putting the pressure. No, you have to come back down the field and score on us. Like, we took the lead back. Uh, so that, yeah, stunning win. And we'll see if that's a springboard for Manalpin. We'll see point how Point Borough rebounds with an important non-divisional game this week against another playoff hopeful, Matawan. That's won three in a row. Um, we can get we'll get to that near the end. But yeah, that was that was definitely the headliner of everybody yeah. doing the double take of wow, we did not see that coming. Uh so yeah, Manalpin, and turns of yes. this season. 
yes, was, <laughs> Here the, they uh, go. was the story of the shore. I mean, again, they were coming off a 30 to 27 loss to a Howell team that was winless at the time, although now mm-hmm. they've won two in a row. So we Howell's a little better than their record indicates, but it, it didn't exactly tip you off that, man, they're going to go out and, and shock Point Borough, but they did absolutely that. So you're right. Kudos to the Braves. They're the story of the shore this week. And another game that you were at, we talk about Marlboro ending uh, a long division title drought. Detweiler Stadium was ringing the bell on Friday night. Toms River South ended a division title drought of their own. Yes, the Indians, a big 31-17 victory over Pinelands. They clinch a share uh, of the division title, um, the Liberty division title, and first one of any kind for Toms River South since 2002. Go back to the the Dillard brothers, you know, with that high-octane run-and-shoot style offense under uh, Brian Wilkinson, you know, friend of the – friend of the program now the ad at cinnamons in high school but yeah that uh it's been a long time for detweiler stadium and you really have to go back a decade just to recapture the kind of environment they had on friday night you know that 2013 team that at time year barry you know we've talked about them um you know on the on the podcast earlier you know was the last time really they had an, an exciting team a team winning consistently like this and the stands were packed. You know, the band was playing old Indian Tom with the usual fervor, the smoke coming out of the teepee. You know, it, it was it was a fun atmosphere. And for Tom's River South, give the Indians credit because the game could not have started any worse. They fumbled the opening kickoff. They were able to turn Pinelands over. Then they gave it away with an interception. Then on a fumble after that, gave Pinelands the ball inside the 15-yard line. And it was really the Indians' defense early stood up, had some huge stands held Pons to a field goal, and the offense got going. Uh, and it was really the running game. Their senior quarterback, Jimmy Alexander, did a great job, you know, running that read option, ran for two touchdowns, threw a touchdown, ran for a two-point conversion, and then they just leaned on that ground attack as the game went on, paired that offense that really stopped the run well, and you have a two-touchdown victory for the Indians. Uh, just a great um, a great story for them. They started off 0-1, and now they've won five in a row. Yeah, a team that – ended a 10-game losing streak, is now on a five-game winning streak. You don't see that too often. So that shows how rapid the turnaround has been. And I agree, it's their offense that's really powered a lot of this. They averaged 27 points a game in the four games that they had won, and then they come in this game and put up 31 on a, a solid Pinelands defense. And that bodes really well. And, and again, that was big for their playoff hopes as far as cementing their you know some their selves as – part of that field uh but we talked to matt martin last week and these are the games he wants to get back to playing every year we want the stadium pack we want to be playing for titles we want you know the to be part of the conversation in the shore conference again uh i mean they still i believe they have to win one more divisional game to lock it up all for themselves yes they need to in two weeks they have to they have to beat central to clinch it outright right uh, so Pinelands, theoretically, if they beat Monmouth in two weeks and Central upset South, could get a share. But, yeah, South has already got a piece and now can get the whole thing to themselves. So right up there among the remarkable turnarounds in the Shore Conference this year. You know, you look at Holmdel, they're flying high and they're playing great off a one-win season. Tom's River South coming off a one-win season themselves, and they've done an amazing job. So, yeah, two of the biggest turnaround stories in the Shore right there. Yeah, they – what impressed me uh, most about Tom's River South, uh, 
just at least schematically, it was the rushing attack and its depth. You know, Alexander had a really good game. Uh, their junior running back, Jake Hanahan, had a really nice season. He ran for, um, I believe, 79 yards. He came out in the second half, got dinged up a little bit. Matt Martin said after the game it was, you know, just nicked up. So don't anticipate anything long term. But, you know, Demir Nelson came in and they didn't miss a beat at all. He ended up running for about 75 yards and a touchdown on nine carries, uh, or maybe even seven carries. So they had three guys they could turn to. They made good plays in the passing game. Danny Pearson had the long 62 yard touchdown catch. Cooper Greitz has been a player who's given them, um, you know, big plays in the passing game. He had an interception on defense to uh, to seal it. Uh, Lulu Aiken, Lulu, um, again, a huge game at linebacker. Just seemed like all over the field, had a couple pressures. So they've been getting it done with a lot of different players on both sides of the ball, and obviously that bodes well when it's, you know, there's some balance there with the contributors. Yeah, and not, and not only that, they're young. You know, they do have an excellent senior class that's really driven this resurgence but it's not like the cupboard's going to be bare when these guys graduate next year. So this could really be a big turning point because they're going to have a lot of those key players back next season. We'll see where they end up in the division realignment. Cause as we know, your reward for winning titles is a harder schedule. Uh, <laughs> so you may see them up in a bigger division next year. And again, that's where they want to be. You know, Matt Martin said, we want to be back to playing top 10 teams regularly and, and being one of those spotlighted teams. And this is part of that building process. We talked about Marlboro early on. This is essentially how they started down in one of these lower divisions, steadily building up things. And now they're beating traditional, strong, good programs like Jackson to get titles. So the blueprint is there. And, you know, hopefully for the Indians, they can uh, keep following it. Now it was, uh, I, I guess you say status quo in the American division. I mean, these are all really good teams playing each other, mm. but all the favorites, got wins across the board in that division this weekend. Yes, and we'll run down the uh, the rest of the Shore 16 now, and it just so happens the the top three teams are all American division teams. So uh, number one, Donovan Catholic, uh, a 28-9 to victory over then number five, Rumson. Najee Calhoun, their sophomore running back, 135 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Junior wideout Michael Thomas took a couple snaps in the Wildcat, and he took two of them to the end zone. 61 yards rushing, a couple touchdowns. The defense played really well again, held down that passing attack. So the, the Griffins respond, um, you know, from the loss to St. Joe's. And they they just keep pace to top that American division, hold on to the number one spot in the shore. And on the other side, Rumson falls to two and four, which it's crazy to look at the record at two and four. But when you break it down, it's you understand it. At the same time, they're now number one in, in United Power Ranking, all of South 2. So... You know, they're not going to win the division, but there's, as long as they can be healthy, they're kind of still right in the spot that they want to be in, in terms of winning a, a sectional title. So, and a group title. So not, not nothing earth chatting really to take out of that one. Well, the one thing that was a development was Michael Thomas, the third left that game with an injury. He, he did. Was- I did hear though, that I did see on Twitter, somebody asked about it and another Donovan Catholic, I believe it was a parent responded. It was just really bad cramping, which is good to hear. Okay, he did, that's great he, to he hear. He got carted yeah. off the field. Yeah, right. He was never taken off on sign. a cart, and you're like, this is one of the top receivers and just all-around playmakers in New Jersey. Right at the point where Donovan's about to hit the real meat of their season, you know, it's going to be mm-hmm. a big finish for them in these next couple of weeks. So, yeah, they're going to need they're going to need him. But, yeah, they, they look good. I mean, Rumson, it's one of those things you're playing a hard schedule, and a lot of teams would be two and four or worse. 
but at some point you got to start playing more mm -hmm. competitive games and like just turning it around a little bit. And they have the chance to do, to make a huge statement again this yeah. week because they do have Marlboro coming in undefeated. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Rumson's goal is always that group two title. The American division title would be great. And I, and, and I think they, they're perfectly okay with playing in that division in the sense that this prepares us for group two. Once yes. you played RBC, Donovan Catholic, and Tons River North, there's no one in group two that's going to like overwhelm you to the level of those teams. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. Caldwell, the team that beat Rumson last year, is undefeated again. That winning streak is still going. I think it's what, until like the 30s or something yes. at this point? Um, and there's Westwood and some other good North Jersey teams, plus Point Borough and plenty of other tough teams from the South. But I think for Rumson, it's going to just be more of a confidence thing of we need to get back to playing like we know we can after just a couple real lopsided games in a row against really good teams. Yeah. For Rumson, it's, you know, try to build some, uh, like you said, some positive momentum. They have a chance these next two games, you know, they, they play Marlboro, they play wall, you know, they get to four and four, they're going to be feeling just fine about themselves going into the playoffs again, as long, as long as they're healthy. So it's interesting. It's, it's reminds me of the non-public teams in that, uh, North Jersey Super Conference, the top division there, where you'll see a team win a sec, win a you know a state title, and maybe the record is like seven and five, you know eight and four, and it's like they don't care what the record is. Right. Like you always said, they don't put the record on the banner. So yeah, the record is what it is, but it's far from the be all and end all, and they have a chance to you know to turn it around and jump back in immediately. So I'm sure that's what their focus is on. Uh, number two, Red Bank Catholic, a, a stern test from Middletown South. Casey's hold off the Eagles, win 25 to 14. Uh, Matt Lonzak with a late touchdown run to give them that extra cushion. Casey's played great defense again. Um, this one was Lorenzo Portello and Logan Graham, two defensive linemen, 10 tackles, a sack, two tackles for loss each. Frankie Williams, their junior quarterback three touchdowns through the air. And how about a, a new face making some big plays, senior tight end, Luke Kurzakowski, two catches, 82 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, and the Casey's again, like quietly, I feel like staying, you know, unbeaten within the shore at the top of that division. And, you know, just moving, they really did. They'd moved one step closer, setting up that winner take all game, uh, potentially between Donovan later in the season. Don't forget they still have Tom River North. Yeah. And that's the big obstacle. RB yeah. pretty sizable one, but RBC, you know, taking care of business against still a very strong Middletown South team. And Luke Kurzakowski, he flashed during the Bergen Catholic game. You know, mm -hmm. he made some really nice catches in that game. He's been a little quiet since then. Obviously, Emmanuel Ross gets a lot of the uh, fanfare among the receiving core there, but he's a real weapon. He's got good size. He can run and he makes plays over the middle when teams start cheating over towards Ross on the sideline when he's, you know, at X receiver. So he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And you're right. It's just this, I mean, that's Middletown South. You're going to have to grind it out against them. Mm -hmm. You're not just going to line up and run over a team like that. They're competitive and tough. Uh, and that game was 1914 fairly late, right? Yes. Yeah. I think Lonzak's touchdown came in the, you know, final, you know, the final half of the fourth quarter uh, at, at the least. So, yeah, I mean, Middletown South hung around. Yeah, and Donovan and RBC have two games this week where they'll be heavily favored, non-divisional mm -hmm. games. And then, you're right, RBC has Toms River North. And that's RBC's chance. We have Donovan Catholic number one. And that's RBC's chance to kind of make their statement. Okay, Donovan, the, the only thing, though, that may 
complicate that argument is if Michael Ford does not play against RBC, True. then it might be a little harder to evaluate that game. And I'm sure, obviously, the Casey's are going to say, that's not our problem. That's not our fault, like if he's not playing, you know, if we really took it to him in that game. But again, like we've said a million times, it will get settled on the field in that final regular season finale on October 27th. It's just a question of, will that be a winner-take-all game because both teams are unbeaten in the American division? Or will one of them have stumbled the week before where one team already has a tie for it and the other team's just trying to tie the other? But they've handled their business. I mean, against the short conference, they've both, you know, been as advertised. And, you know, we talk about Tom Zerman with other missing Michael Ford. They went out and beat Wall 49 to nothing. Yeah, it's it's been impressive that they've, you know, the the game right after the loss to Donovan uh without Mike Ford, yeah, that was a that was a tough 14-7 where 21-7 win, excuse me, they had to pull out against Middletown South, but they they got through that and we knew at the time that was going to be huge just that first game after that. They responded well and and you know, they've been great the last two weeks. And you mentioned 49 nothing over Wall. How about TJ Valerio, you know, coming into a difficult situation but I mean, he got his feet under him, um, and he had his best game, you know, as as a high school player this past week. 140 side, 47 yards passing a touchdown, ran for 107 yards on a touchdown, nine carries, which is big, just to have that dual threat ability from that position. Where look, he's not Micah Ford, but can still run the offense the way you want to. To recounsel, I feel like we don't talk about him enough, probably because his best asset is that he's an elite cover corner. So when he's shutting guys down. No one's throwing him. You're not really talking about him, but he had a 77-yard punt return for a touchdown. Josh Moore, 91 yards rushing and touchdown on just eight carries. So yeah, they, you know, back to being the juggernaut uh, in that we know they are, and a huge win for the Mariners. And again, they have a game this coming week that, or you know, this weekend that they will be heavily favored in. So the real question, and it's against Tom's River South coming off Civil War title. It is the Civil War. I mean, it's a the Civil War to this day that the biggest crowd I've ever seen at a game that I covered in the Shore Conference was a Civil War game in the early 2000s. Both teams were undefeated this like this late into the season. I think it might have been a one versus two in the Shore. And there was well, I think it was something like 9,000 almost pushing. Was it at North or South? Uh, It was at North. And I swear I was parked, I think, at South. (laughs) <laughs> walking all the way to north so yeah that game always has a ton of hype uh north certainly the heavy favorite in this but as far as the american division is concerned the question is will michael ford play against rbc we don't know uh from everything i've heard maybe not i mean dave ozerwitz told us on the show we're acting as if he's not coming back i don't i don't believe he's just not he's not coming back he's not like out for the season you know, it's really a question of will they play him in that game or not. And the other thing is, if you're just bringing him back, do you want it to be in a physical, like, you know, potential injury again type of game? But on the other hand, where you know, even if you win that game, you're not guaranteed anything. You still need, you'd still need, like, you know, RBC to go out and beat Donovan to even yes. get like a share of a three way title. Right. So you're right. There's that's something they'll evaluate. But just us doing it, you can see why if they choose not to play him you know why that would be so yeah absolutely we, and and tj valerio is really getting comfortable you know having yeah. nice games so he's proven that with him in there they could still make a ton of plays i mean 
look at all these names on this team. You still have insane amount of playmakers and guys who can make things happen all over the field. It's not like this team is like greatly diminished or something. Yes, you would like to be at 100% against RBC just because, especially because we spent all of last season, right? Who's better, Tom's River North or RBC? <laughs> it was like the argument all year, but because North was in the Colonial Division, they never met. And they thought, oh, this year they're finally going to see each other on the field and we'll find out for real. Uh, but it may, may be an extra wrinkle uh, in that. And then when you're looking at the other games, there were a few other division title clinchings um, this week. Your alma mater getting it done and a potential new star <laughs> emerging, uh, making them making Brick Memorial probably feel a little bit better that about the graduation, you know, that when they do lose Connor Dietz to graduation, his successor has already shown something. They go out and beat Brick Memorial 48-14 with a sophomore quarterback showing out as they uh, clinch their first a tie of their first division title since 2015. Yeah, the Mustangs 48-14 over Free Alboro, clinch a share of that Independence Division title. And the story here was their sophomore quarterback, Jason Lahara. So just to clear up some, you know, there was rumors out there that Connor Dietz got ejected from the game. That did not happen because people saw, you know, I saw some things on social media and then people look at the box score and they try to put two and two together. There was, look, football is a physical game. Sometimes it gets chippy. I think, you know, Dietz retaliated something. He had a flag thrown on him. And Brick Morrill, I guess, maybe recognized the situation. Said, look, let's just take him out of here, let him cool off. They put Lahara in, and he never left the game because Brick Morrill blew it open really quick. Um, and maybe not the worst thing to rest, you know, your standout senior who's been having a ton of carries. But Lahara ended up being our, you know, Ocean County Sports Medicine Shore Conference Offensive Player of the Week. 14 of 18, 266 yards passing, two touchdowns. Ran for 30 yards and a touchdown. Brick Memorial put up 597 yards of offense. That is extremely impressive. So for Memorial, they clinch a share of division title. Um, and, you know, their quarterback of the future gets to showcase what fans have to look forward to. That was just crazy because I cannot remember a player having a debut where he was just put in the middle of a game. Mm -hmm. And then put up numbers like that. That is just totally eye-opening to see that. You throw you get to 266 and you didn't even come into the game until the second quarter. And it's your first varsity, you know, serious experience in a competitive game. That what an amazing job. And yeah, they're Nizir Whitaker, 101 yards rushing, two TDs on five carries. I mean, yeah, some of the numbers from this game are crazy. You know, Jason Whitaker, five catches for 73 yards and a touchdown. You had Kevin Andrews getting 151 yards from scrimmage. But, yeah, what a, what an unbelievable just fireworks from Brick Memorial. That offense, they've been dominating all year. Like, they did have the one, I guess, lower scoring game for them against Middletown North. Mm -hmm. But other than that, they've essentially lit up everyone they've played. Uh, and now it leaves them – uh, if they want the division all for themselves, they have to face a brick team that's kind of reeling right now. That's lost, I think, three in a row after a four and zero start. Yeah, I believe or I think two yeah, in a row. Yeah, two. So that you know that'll be an interesting game uh, in a couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, 
for, for a sophomore to come in and just go like that, then you're right. If you're a Brick Memorial fan, all right, we should be in pretty good hands going forward, even yeah. after we lose a quarterback who's essentially rewritten the school record book. Dietz better be careful. I mean, you know, if Lahar is going to come out and put up these kind of numbers for the next couple of years, some of those records might be in trouble. It, the future is really bright for Brick Morrill, and not only with Lahar, but they have good young players. You know, Kevin Andrews is only a junior, they're running back. Nizer Whitaker is only, you know, sophomore. You know, they have Nizer Matthews, who's been a defensive back, who's played well for them, only a sophomore. Trey Talmadge, only a sophomore. And their freshman team is undefeated and has been detonating every team in their path. So, Brick Morrill, after some tough years, again, they're they're the 7-0 right now, the only 7-0 team in the shore. They play Lacey this week, and then they close out with Brick. So, yeah, there's a they could be 9-0 going into the playoffs with a high seed, you know, chasing championships. So that's what this, you know, t- this program has been looking for for a while. And with Dietz at quarterback as a senior, you know, this is the year you peg to do it. So they're unblemished so far. They'll try to continue it uh, in the coming weeks. The game you stopped by on Friday night, uh, take the pulse of the Hornets, and it was <laughs> that heart's beating pretty good. Holmdale 30 to nothing over Ocean, their fourth straight shutout. I mean, that is unprecedented, I imagine, in their program history. Uh, and they do it with balance. So uh, what'd you see from the Hornets uh, up close and personal at Rocky Field? That was as dominating a game as I've seen in a long time. The yardage at halftime was 177 to four. I mean, Holmdale's defense against that wing T that Ocean essentially has installed on the fly here midseason. They just dominate. They do their job. You know, no one freelances to try to, like, make a play on their own. Everybody just handles their assignments. And it's like we've talked about a couple times on here as far as there's not certain players aren't going to just jump out and go, oh, my God, this guy had 17 tackles and, like, five sacks. But they combine for impressive numbers, all of them together. Uh, Gary Collier, their safety and running back, got things started with a touchdown early on. And they rolled up 285 yards rushing. 331 total yards on offense. Uh, apparently, the record for shutouts in a season at Homedale is six from 1991, oh. but not six in a row. I mean, four in a row is wild. They've allowed 20 points the entire season. No yeah. one has scored. It's like, on I don't care who you're though. playing and in what division you're in. Like, that's, that's really hard to do. Right. Especially – Coach Jeff Reynas said, you know, part of it is luck to some degree in the sense that you pull your starters, another team might score late in a game, Mm -hmm. you know, or you miss a tackle on special teams or something when you're up big, somebody scores. But so to actually lock that down week after week, it's just incredible what they've done. And balance offensively is crazy. They had six different guys run for 30 or more yards in that game. I mean, one of them was Braden Savage on a fake punt that went for 36 yards. But they really can spell guys who are tired. They can get somebody in there who's just as good and can do the job in that split back veer. There's a ton of different guys. Jack Cannon has really taken that offense to another level, their sophomore quarterback. He threw two touchdown passes, and then he on the first play from scrimmage the third quarter, he just ripped off a 75-yard TD that you know ended any suspense as far as the game was concerned. Uh, after the game – I felt like I could have been like the biggest party pooper, but they're in the locker room going nuts because they hear that sure loss to St. John Vianney. So they're like constitution division. It's over. We're like, we got the whole thing all to ourselves. And I didn't want to be like the math nerd who was like, well, technically 
if you lost your last divisional game and you know Manasquan beat Ocean, like they would tie you for the title. I just kind of was like, let them. You gotta let them enjoy the moment. I mean, they're having fun because the big thing is again, this is a team that went one and eight last year. At this time, they're six and zero. Oh. At this time last year, they were zero oh and six. Like they're, they're talking about flipping the script. Yeah, it's just completely remarkable. They have a, an excellent senior class. Uh, obviously, with you know Nick Bachman had a huge game there. D lineman had a sack for a safety, another tackle for a loss. Uh, they don't give an inch on defense as far as against running games. It's really hard to run the ball on them. Ocean only attempted one pass, and they didn't get it. So I couldn't really tell you, you know, how the secondary is against like a throwing <laughs> team or something like that. But against the run game, and that's an assignment based thing when you're playing the wing T. You have to stick to your man. You can't fall for the fakes. You can't come off your man and try to, you know, hit the quarterback and let him pitch it to somebody else. And they're extremely disciplined. They got up field against them. Yeah, they they looked awesome on defense. I mean, granted, they have not yet played that other top 10 team, you know, that other super explosive offensive team. Uh, there hasn't really been a lot of that in that division this year. But you could see how they've been just shutting teams down because they're solid across the board. There's no real weak link. And talking to them I was about how they did this, part of it was just dedication. You know, they're saying we it was like mandatory weightlifting every day in the offseason. We have to change it around. And they had some injuries last year. And really the return of Reynas has stabilized so much as their head coach. He missed a lot of games last year with a, a serious medical issue. He just talked about, you know, this year it's kind of taught me to take a step back a little bit and just enjoy this. You know, sometimes you can be so intense in the middle of it. You're not having as much fun because you're so worried about every little thing, but to see the players having that great celebration in the locker room, you know, that moment meant so much to him given what he'd gone through. And then you got to give a shout out to uh, John Principi, the defensive coordinator. I mean, four straight shutouts, like you said, I don't care who you're playing. That's impressive. Yeah. That, on those getting the job done and one of the best stories in the shore this season. Moving on down, uh, number 11, Colts Neck, playing some good football now, 40-13 to 13 win over Raritan. Uh, Chris Scully continues his awesome senior season. He's done it against every opponent they faced, regardless of team win or loss. 253 yards rushing and four touchdowns on a cool 13.3 yards per carry. And their senior quarterback, Don Beninato, Scully's been the headliner, sure, but he's been really solid. Five of six, 93 yards and a touchdown uh, to Easton Sloan. Ran for 77 yards and a score uh, on seven carries. Eric Larrero had a standout game on defense. So uh, Colts Neck picking up some momentum and playing their best football of the season right now. Not only that, how amped were they when they saw Point Burrow go down the night before? Yeah. That was Friday night. This game was on Saturday. That left the door open for Colts Neck to tie Point Burrow or even pass them if Point Burrow got stunned by Raritan in their final division mm -hmm. game. But if Colts Neck goes out and beats Long Branch in their final division game, and then, you know, and if Point Burrow beats Raritan, they tie for the Colonial Division mm -hmm. title when right. Point Burrow had already beaten them head to head. And I think Colts Neck, in a way, probably figured, all right, that's probably, we're probably out of this race. So, I mean, how fired up were they probably going into that game on Saturday after getting new life from Friday night? And, you know, there's plenty of players on Colts Neck who are, you know, either grew up playing with or friends with some of those Manalpin kids. So there's going to be some high fives like, hey, thanks for the assist. Yeah, a lot, a lot of free it. jersey mics and, uh, <laughs> you know, free meals. Like, hey, guys, thanks for the help. Absolutely. Uh, 
at St. John Vianney. We mentioned that before, talking about Holmdahl. Big upset win for the Lancers, 21-6 over uh, last week's number 13 team, Shore Regional. Again, I've mentioned this a bunch of times. The St. John Vianney coaches said the second half of the season when he, is when you'll see, start to see them playing better. Really young team, inexperienced. And, you know, they were right. They they've played their best football over the last couple of weeks. Um, and this was an impressive win against the Shore Regional team that has, you know, several different ball carriers in that wing tee, always plays good defense, has one of the best defensive players in the Shore and Jackson Whitaker. Ryan Vallely, touchdown pass to Dante Campania, ran for a touchdown. Luca Minardi, uh, Minardo salted it away with a touchdown run late in the game. And freshman linebacker is another all-name team candidate, Donnie Rocco Sosa. 15 tackles, an interception, two tackles for a loss, and just a really nice win for a young team that's trying to build something going forward. That was impressive. Shore had won four in a row coming into that game and had a ton to play for because Mm -hmm. they were trying to keep pace with Homedale to where if they were able to beat Homedale in – two weeks they could have potentially tied them for the yeah. title and that would have set up an outright you know division championship game all right, right. no excuse me not i keep forgetting sure yeah, i sure had the one Manisquan. loss to Manisquan, right. but still i would have set up you know that sure could have played for a piece of the title that essentially knocked them out of that running now only Manisquan has a chance to potentially tie homedale Manisquan will become very big sure regional fans in two weeks because they'll need help from them for that to happen but you called it this has been a young team. They took their lumps early, but they're improving as the week or the weeks go by. Uh, also, Dante Campagna, Luca Minardo, and Donnie Rocco Souza. Every year, I feel like St. John Vianney is in a strong competition with Manalapan for most Italian team in the Shore Conference. And once again, they're right there in the mix and they're all <laughs> producing. Absolutely. They're getting it done for sure. So big win for the Lancers. Uh, as they continue their uh, their strong second half of the season. The hook and ladder is a fun play. A lot of teams try to pull it off. Nobody executes it better than Corey Davies coach teams, and it happened again uh, on Friday night. Friel Township 27, uh, number 15, Friel Township 27, Brick 26, uh, and the big series at the end of the game. Friel Township gets a stop on defense, gets the ball back with, I want to say, just under two minutes to play. Uh, and there they go, hook and ladder. They call it and they execute it. 43 yards, Nick Cardone passes Jalen Gill-Anderson. He flips it off to Bobby Loft, and that sets up the go-ahead touchdown pass from Cardone. 23 yards to their senior, John Paul Cartez. Under a minute left, and the Patriots escape with a massive divisional victory. 27-26, and really keeps the Patriots in line to potentially claim a share of a division title uh, if Brick, uh, Brick can beat Brick Morrill on that final week of the regular season. So the Patriots going into their bag of tricks and coming out with a thrilling win. If you didn't even tell me who the teams were that were playing, you said one team this week hit a huge hook and lateral to set up like the game winning, like heart stopping comeback. It would absolutely, my choice would always be Friel Township because Corey, God, when he was on Howell, they pulled that off like a million times. Like even when teams knew it was coming. Yeah. People knew it was coming and they still couldn't stop it because they had drilled it so well and the players were so good at it that they could pull it out at any time and it would work. But yeah, that's a that's a crucial win and a big win for Free Old Township, uh, who's really put themselves now as a factor as far as uh playoffs are concerned, too. I mean, this is a team that has not had a ton of 
state playoff, you know, berths. They've only won one state playoff game in the history of their program. Uh, so to stay right in the hunt for, you know, a playoff berth and all of that. And then, like you said, if Brick, which actually has dominated Brick Memorial in that series, they will be big underdogs. But if they can get a win and Township can win their last divisional game, that would be also an extremely rare. I mean, how many uh, division titles has uh, Frio Township like ever won in their history? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. You know, the beauty of the uh, internet. We can look it up right now. So I'm going to check, but you're right. Frio Township. Yeah, I'm yeah, looking at it right now. Team. They've never won a division Never title. won a division title. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about a chance to do something, you know, that's never been done in program history. They're a fun team. You know, they, they're they good on both sides of the ball. Nick um, Cardone is one of the underrated quarterbacks in the short. Yeah. He runs the ball really well, too. He's been their leading rusher in most of their games. And that dynamic threat at the quarterback position in that spread offense with their, you know, a bevy of receivers that they can throw to has really made a difference. I mean, he threw for 194 yards and two touchdowns, ran for 50 yards and a touchdown, spreading the ball around. You know, it's been it's been John Paul Cortez, it's been Jalen Gill Anderson, it's it's been, you know, multiple guys. Um you know, Nick Carnival, another one who's been a standout receiver. So they have balance there. You know, certainly they have to have a running back they can just hand it off to, but the offense has morphed into where they still get yards on the ground and have to keep teams honest. And defensively, they've found ways to, you know, either just come up with good defensive performances or force turnovers and big plays of that nature. And that was Sebastian Andujar. He had a 41-yard fumble return touchdown, three tackles for loss from this senior linebacker. And obviously in a one-point game, that defensive score was just as important as any other. And the win put Friel Township in the 11 spot in the South Five region. So that's in the playoffs as of right now. So that was a crucial one. One thing to mention about Brick in the loss, Jaden Johnson's become a real home run threat. I mean, he had three catches for 118 yards and two touchdowns. He's done. A, he's that guy who'll get behind your defense and just hit you with a 50-yard TD like on any type of play. So he's worth uh, keeping an eye on there for the Green Dragons. And another team that's on a roll, Matawan, three in a row now after the 0-4 start. They roll over Barnegat 33-6. Amir Martinez continues his great play at quarterback, 163 passing and four TDs plus 81 yards rushing. That great receiving core, uh, Sylvester, Cooper, Anthony, Colin Palumbo, they're running, all had receiving TDs. Like they've been playing great. And now they have that huge game against Point Borough, which become became a lot more interesting than it would have been, you know, three or four weeks ago. Certainly did. You know, Matawan at 0 and 4 was, you know, that was the most shocking winless start just because of the talent. I know they had a tough schedule early on, but, you know, lost some games where you, you, didn't think they'd lose or just, you know, the way they lost, like it was just not going well for Matawan and they got that first win and then they've built off that. And now they're three in a row. They're playing with a lot of confidence and it's not a team you want to see playing that well, because they're very dynamic offensively. You know, their head coach, Jay Graber is a really good offensive coach. who's had some excellent offenses everywhere. He's coached. They have the dudes you know, to get it done. Give Martinez a lot of credit. My thing, though, is this is a big step up in competition for them. They have won three in a row, but none of those teams have been, you know, a top 10 caliber team like Point Bro. 
And the, the question is, is Point Borough just raging mad right now and ready to take it out on somebody after losing him in yeah. Alpin? Or did that dent their confidence at all actually losing that game? I mean, they're a pretty senior-heavy team, so I would imagine they're, they wish they could probably go out and play a game the next day after losing that game. It, the way I look at that upcoming game is a massive opportunity for Matawan. For Point Borough, it's a major like statement, like, all right, we need to be like, no, 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 like, yeah, I mean, Alpen got us. Like, it was a great game, but like, that we're going to come back with a vengeance. So, that's going to be one to keep eyes on Friday night at Al Sainter Field. Some of the, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up the rest of the results here, which within this, you know, I don't think we're not slighting these teams. We went down the ranked teams first. So, uh, Manasquan, we'll just go down the divisions here. Manasquan, uh, 31 nothing over Asbury Park. Uh, Squan sl- snaps a three game losing streak. Frank Fufaro, three TD passes to Caden Eastman. So a big one for Manasquan just to get back in the win calm, and especially scoring 31 points after being shut out two straight games. Asbury coming off its bye. Look, the, the Blue Bishops are sh- struggling right now with numbers. They're trying to build the program up under head coach Marquand Mutaz. So th- that's going to be a process. Um, it's The talent's there. They don't always keep it in town. You know, that's a topic for a completely different discussion, but, you know, a good one for Manasquan uh, to move on. And get a shutout. Howell. Howell's another team. Start off 0 and 4, had some just brutally close and devastating losses. And they're back now, won two in a row. 28 0 shutout victory over Southern. Really impressive performance from their junior running back, Juan De Jesus. Ran for 147 yards and a touchdown or in three touchdowns. And he's not their starting running back. You know, Brandon Wright broke his leg. Their stand, their star senior running back. It was really consistent for them, you know, through those first three, four games, um, or excuse me, first three games before I got hurt, I believe. And, you know, to have a player come in right like that and have a couple big games to help you to wins, you know, big one for Howell. You know, they they stuck through it through some of that that really tough start. Um, and they were better than the record. And now they've shown it with two straight wins. I'm impressed by their senior class. You know, the that's what you take your direction from. If you start 0-4 and your se- your seniors start kind of going in the tank, the whole thing can fall apart. But their seniors have really stayed strong and led the way. I mean, yeah, Declan Flaherty, their senior DN, had a sack, couple tackles for a loss, fumble recovery in the shutout. Uh, you know, they've had other guys stepping up. So, yeah, they've, they've really fought back. I'm impressed by them, like, kind of getting up off the canvas and getting a couple good wins here. And, and another team that got up off the canvas that had been kind of scrap scrapping was uh Middletown North just roars to a 38 to six win over Lacey, Luke Sheehan, their uh, quarterback, senior quarterback, 156 and three TDs passing Nino Morgan Acker, 104 yards on the ground and a TD plus caught a TD. Um, you know, their other running back uh, Shane Volante, 98 rushing and TD. Uh, they had been kind of struggling to score. They've been struggling on defense. They were just one of those teams, honestly, that I just couldn't figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? The bye week really did them well because they, whatever they needed to correct, they corrected. You know, Dunleavy mentioned his first game of the season after a preseason injury, so getting him back was big. Yeah, whatever was ailing them, they corrected because Lacey, while not you know record wise, I believe two and five now, Lacey, still like a team that is you know they had that win over Southern. They, they've played well at times. They have a really good quarterback in Nick Martin's and. A standout receiver and Trevor Santucci and a couple good young players. So not like an easy opponent. You expect the middle tournament to just roll over. And I picked Lacey in that game just based on the way the teams have been playing. So for middle tournament to come out and just not just win, but to win in dominant fashion, certainly a good sign. 
Yeah, that was one of those. Uh, I tried to do the transitive property. Like, well, Southern beat Middletown North and Lacey beat Southern. So let's go with Lacey. And that failed miserably. As we the, quickly uh, realized that transitive property, both in picking games and now in ranking teams, is yes. just completely out the window. I tried that. That was the same thing. You're like, wait, Raritan beat Manalpin and Point Borough would probably be a heavy favorite over Raritan. You know, like, but that doesn't work that way yeah. all the time. Football is so much about matchups. And, you know, how one team's healthy. And then, like you said, Middletown North had a bye week to kind of pull things together. Um, so, yeah, you know, Monmouth will give them some credit, too. They got shut out by Red Bank previous week. They came back and shut out Tom's River East 28 nothing to go to 5-2. and two. And I, I believe they're coming off like a two-win season. So they're another yeah. team that uh, has turned it around nicely. Yeah, Mammoth six wins two seasons ago, and then you know back down last season. So really good bounce back, um, you know, for head coach Dan Wendell and his group. Excuse me, senior quarterback Dom O'Grady, two TD passes, ran for a touchdown. Their defense played really well all season. They did it again. Nick Crosley had a fumble return touchdown. They had sixteen tackles for loss. So just camping out with the tent and the fire and a cooler full of food. I saw and that, and I was like, is that a typo? Field. 16 i was adding up the stats i'm going whoa that's a lot of hits for loss so uh they got it done defensively certainly with the goose egg and then this Sierra Watt is watson their senior running back didn't find the end zone but 149 yards rushing a career high for him so a bunch of different guys getting it done and uh yeah mammoth five and two you know there's still it looks like it's probably gonna be tough for them to find a spot in the playoffs like sometimes that happens with your record but listen they've they've had a really good bounce back season and for a program that does not have a ton of, you know, program success in their history, this is, you know, you're looking for positive steps, and this is a major positive step this 2023 season. Absolutely. It's just one of those things where you can point to last season and say, okay, that was more of a blip on the radar. That wasn't, oh, we're going back to the old Monmouth. Because like you said, it was just two years ago that they had, you know, six wins. So that that's like, let's get back to, let's make it look like the, Losing season was the aberration, and they've done that so far. Another team that got right, Central, ended a five-game losing streak, uh, but with a 27-6 win over Neptune. Nick Ruggiero, 190 yards rushing and three TDs to help the Golden Eagles uh, turn things around, especially after they had been shut out two games in a row. So for them, they kind of got their offense together in that one. And then, I mean, Keyport just – like we joke a team about that has Brick- no problem with their offense yeah, and we joke about brick memorial every week where they put up these like ridiculous numbers and we treat it like very ho-hum like keyboard is essentially just the small school version of that yeah yeah Nas treadwell like i don't when i'm doing the division players a week every week for the Patriot division i just leave his name in there and then if somebody else has eclipsed him, then I'll change it because but it's, it's like, like you try people. to spread it around, you know, you try to get around, but these, the numbers he puts <laughs> up are so ridiculous that you're like, how could you really say that somebody else had a better week than him? Yeah. You know? And we know point beach is struggling. So it, it was certainly not piling on the Garner calls, but Treadwell, 170 yards rushing three touchdowns on five carries, including a 96 yard touchdown run. They also threw two D two TD passes. Kai Henderson had another touchdown run. He has, He's rushed for over 1,100 yards this season and 21 TDs and has 1,749 yards and 31 touchdowns combined between rushing and passing the season. Mind you, this isn't a player that was even supposed to be quarterback until like a couple weeks before the season or like right before that first game. 
So he has done everything you could have ever asked him to do. And he has proven that he is, he's not just a great player on a small school team. He's just a flat out great player in the shore and one of the very best in the entire conference. And I mean, who's piling up more 90 yard TDs than the red Raiders. I swear like every other week they take one like 90 plus. Yeah. For most, you know, most teams it's like, Oh man, we're backed up. They're just like, Oh great. An opportunity to run farther on this next play. It's really remarkable what they've been doing. And, that's the key port of old, you know, playing in that small school division, but just dominance, like it, no matter what, on the outside, like in the running game, like physical linemen and linebackers, like this, this key port team is built in that mold. And, you know, they, they have been dominant. You know, they had the one loss was 35 28 to, to freehold. That's a game they play multiple times. You know, you're going to like key ports chances in, in a lot of those. And they're pushing towards the playoffs as a very, Pretty, very dangerous team. Yeah, their their ske- strength of schedule has hurt them a little bit in that for all these fireworks, they're number 11 right now yeah. in the UPR in the South Group 1 region, whereas Shore Regional, which is 4-2, and two, is number 6 because they're up mm-hmm. in that bigger division playing, you know, non-public schools with Vianney and bigger size schools. Uh, but, you know, the South Jersey teams kind of dominate the top there. Shallock, Woodstown, Glassboro, all those guys. Florence, kind of the usual suspects. Uh, so I think Keyport will still have something to prove in the playoffs. And uh, But you're right. Who wants to see them if they're like a six seed? That's my whole thought process is if you're one of those teams and you're paying attention to finals, you're going, we don't, why is that team seeded? Like, we don't want to play them. Like, have you seen that quarterback? I guarantee you that's a conversation where it's like, man, if we get stuck with that team early, like, this is not going to be a fun opening round game. So I think that's what Keyports brings too. And maybe a little chip on your shoulder. You know, the playoffs, you're playing really well. Like, look at the seed we got. You know, that's not no, it's it's an uh an objective seed based on a formula, but still, I'm sure they'll use that uh as some motivation going into the place uh playoffs. And another team that uh has gotten right here after a little struggle there with two losses against two good teams, Manchester taking care of business against Jackson Liberty. 34 to two, as you pointed out, the most random stat of the week, the two Jackson schools each scored only two points in their games, which is incredibly like the ultimate random stat department. That is, yeah, you're right. There's no other way to put it. That is one of the more random stats you'll ever see. Manchester for six turnovers, which is a lot. Uh, Manny Swain, two uh, two sacks, two tackles for loss. Had a bunch of guys getting into the action with interceptions and Fumble recoveries of the like. So Manchester yeah, continuing their turnaround season uh, and good for them to snap a two-game skid. And then finally, Lakewood, 26-8 uh, to eight over Keensburg uh, on homecoming. Uh, junior quarterback Ramel Anderson, three touchdown runs to the Piners pick up. Their second win of the season pulled a two-and-two two within the division. So that, that wraps up an eventful week six. And now we're on to week seven. Uh, some big games, but this is really the calm before the storm. Of, yeah, this of what is like everybody take a breath. Mm-hmm. Everybody take a breath, like before we end with the big finish in uh, yeah. two weeks. Yeah, so the, the games, the big ones that we talked about, Marlboro at Rumson. You know, we again we touched on why that one's a big one. So we'll see what the Mustangs can do coming off a physical and emotional victory, and try to carry that into Borden Stadium. Not an easy place to play and win. Again, an interesting clash of styles too, right? Marlboro running, defensive, grinded out team. Rumson's going to throw the ball a good amount. And 
from what I've heard, Runson's had like some illness, like, you know, mono and whatnot, like kind of floating through that program in a couple of mm-hmm. weeks, you know, last few weeks. So I think they just want to get back on solid ground here uh, heading into the postseason. But that that game just became huge because mm-hmm. Marlboro potentially is the number four team in the shore. Rumson lost to Point Borough. So you could have a crazy triangle if Rumson or not a triangle, but like, yeah, you could have the triangle yeah. if Rumson beats Marlboro, but then Point Borough has a win over Rumson. You know, like, oh, great. Another one of those. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and not only that, you know, a tradition rich team against the Marlboro team that's really mm-hmm. making their name and pushing into that upper echelon this year. Uh, that That's a game in the preseason you might not have circled necessarily and thought, oh, mm-hmm. that's going to be a big game, but it really has developed into a top 10 matchup. Um, yeah, and then. We talked stylistically about on that real, real quick, yeah. stylistically on that, I'm interested to see the matchups in, you know, we know Marlboro's run defense is really good. Um, and Marlboro's secondary is very good too. It'd be a different kind of test because Owen O'Toole does such a good job of getting the ball out quick. So does that negate some of the pass rush with Mike Conzalazio and, and, and you know, some of their linebackers, Anthony Tropiano, Matt Cassidy, you know, Robert Kenny had a big game against Jackson. So, he gets the ball so quick. Does that negate some of that? You have a ball hawking secondary. Like, there's a lot of interesting matchups within that game. I'm looking. There's at. also the question of will Rumson be able to run the ball effectively enough so yeah. that O'Toole's not in third and eight the whole game, mm-hmm. and Marlboro's coming with everybody. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely because Marlboro's proven they can shut down dynamic rushing attacks. So that's gonna be a fun one. I'm looking. I'll be there. And I'm looking forward to that game. Then the Matawan Point Borough game. You know. Huskies riding high, Point Borough coming off a, a crushing loss. So what does Point Borough respond? Does Matawan, you know, continue its momentum with a huge win that would really vault them up, uh, you know, up into the uh the PowerPoint standings? That's that again, that's those are the storylines for that game. In, yeah. In will, will Point Borough, how will Point Borough rebound? And is Matawan ready to play up at this level? You know, mm-hmm. like they have won three in a row, but again, those teams are not in the league with Point Borough necessarily. So if Madawan really wants people to sit up and take notice, this is this is definitely the game. Um, and then we talked about the uh, the Civil War. Tom's River South coming off that division title win. Um, North, though, really rolling right now. Um, but I mean, and other than that, I mean, not another like any of the like earth shattering non-divisional games. Mm-hmm. Um I do like kind of Southern at Long Branch as far as where the green wave at uh, is Ernest Reeby on his way back to being able to play quarterback here after all that time with the broken hand, only be able to play defense. Uh, and they're kind of sitting in the weeds because they play Colts neck a week later, which now mm-hmm. is a huge game. Colts neck has to have that game if they want to be able to tie point borough for that division title. So Long Branch can play the spoiler there and get a ton of points for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, playoff wise on the last day, you know, before the the playoffs are seeded. So that's a, that's a big one. Um, The battle of the border, Holmdel route. And I guess the real question is, will anyone score any points against Holmdel? We've seen a bunch of safety. So, and Holmdel got one of their own last week. So maybe this is a three, two. I was thinking that was going to be the final score of that Jackson Harbor game for a little bit. I was like, this has like Luke Rubin, 30 yard field goal all over it. And like, that's the game. Ironically, he did kick one, but it was after that he scored a touchdown. That's one of those yeah. old timey games where like 
people that, you know, you talk to somebody who played in like the 1940s or something in the 1950s, like, I'll never forget that three, two victory. Uh, <laughs> on like a drop kick from like the 30 yard line. Yeah, exactly. Great. Uh, Shore Regional at Mammoth is a little bit intriguing. You know, Mammoth going up division, Shore, you know, is going to be pretty ornery coming off that. Uh, we'll see what Mammoth's defense can do against that rushing attack. Um, you know, Brick out Middletown North, you know, Brick, good defense, but has lost two in a row. Middletown North obviously came out firing against Lacey. So this is going to be a week. I think again, where you're going to get some results that maybe not like surprising and shocking, but like we might have to look at our picks with like one off, like hands covered over your face. Yeah. There's a good amount of parity where you do these picks Mm -hmm. every week. You're like, ah, man, I could go back and forth on this for 20 minutes. It's like, I just feel happy when I don't, I go above 500. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, you just, you're just picking with your gut. Like, all right, sounds like this one, but yeah, there's a few of these teams where week to week, you just really don't know what you're going to necessarily get out of them. But yeah, this is mainly, there's a few rivalry games, you know, teams trying to get a win over an old rival, like a Barnegat Pinelands type situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's just playoff positioning. You know, we need this win to keep our seating or maybe move up a little bit, but you're right this weekend, Friday the 13th, mind you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure, sure that won't guess, cause any wild results at all. Yeah. I guess I'll have to actually cover a game instead of watching like 26 horror movies in a row on principle that day. <laughs> um, but yeah, that uh, I think like you said, it's kind of like, all right, everyone take a quick pause, a little bit of a breath, and then we're going to have like the big thunderous finishes the next week. And then it's playoff time, which is insane to say that already. It really is. One of the games they mentioned, uh, one of the two games on Saturday, uh, Keyport, you know, the, the heavy favorite in that game, but that's always a, a war and a slugfest for the Bayshore Bell. Keyport at Keensburg uh, at noon, high noon on Saturday. So, you know, that's going to be a uh, a game where the communities come out for that. And there's a lot of passion in that game, no matter what, especially for Keensburg. It's like Keyport's rolling. Let's go out and try to like throw a monkey wrench into their plan. So. Yeah, that game's had a lot of wild scores over the years where you thought, oh, well, this team's a clear favorite. So, yeah, mm-hmm. keyboard, obviously the favorite, heavy favorite, but you never know when those two teams meet. On to the free portion of this. Uh, any, anything else on your mind from this week in sports? Well, I mean, I mean I'll like take we got to talk about the I Jets. I will take the Jets' victory. Absolutely. Uh, honestly, <laughs> I can't read too much into it because the Broncos look like they're going to be about three and 14 this year. It would be objectively hilarious if Sean Payton finished with a worse record than Nathaniel Hackett after all the insults in the preseason. A little bit of karma involved there that I wouldn't be terribly mad at. So Brees Hall looked incredible, which was encouraging, especially considering the Denver game was the game where he got hurt last year towards ACL. So to come back a year later and do that was amazing. Zach Rosenblatt, who covers the Jets for the Athletic, had a really good anecdote in his story about that, where he's in the locker room, Brees Hall, and he's looking across like to the trainer's table where he was sitting last year getting examined. And they were like, Yeah, like this field, you probably tore your ACL. And like a year later, he's back there, 22 carries, 177 yards, and like, you know, back and better than ever. So that was awesome to see. The defense, look, it's had its moments where you're like, What are we, what's going on? And it's usually been early in games. But they have closed with ferocity here pretty much every week. And they did it again. You know, Quincy Williams 
has been an absolute revelation. You know, last season he was really good. This season he's been even better, playing on an all-pro level. You know, came like a missile on that strip sack, and then Bryce Hall, you know, walking into the end zone. So it's it's hard not to love the Jets' defense. You know, it's they have the guys that people knew about, the Quinn and Williams, certainly C.J. Mosley, Sauce Gardner after last season, but, you know, D.J. Reed didn't even play in the game because he had a concussion. You know, Bryce Hall comes in, who was a starter when the Jets were struggling, you know, a few years ago and comes up with the fumble return. So their defense is fun. It was just a game they needed to win, no matter what, by hook or by crook. You have the Eagles next week. You can't be one and four. Yeah, that was the now season. regardless. That was you know, the you're in position. That was the season. You had to win that game or the season was over. And I will say Bryce Huff underrated as a pass rusher. He's been getting after it. And he got he got to uh Wilson yesterday a couple, you know, they need to lock him up. Times. And I imagine they will. It's you know, we follow Jets really closely because we're diehard fans, but he's been a player for a while who been a rotational piece, which is all the Jets defensive linemen. That's why they're so fresh and so dangerous. But you saw he got so many more snaps, played a lot of early downs on the run, which that was the question. Like, can he defend the run enough to keep him in a lot? And he just, his pressure rate is insane. And he's played like m- many dozens of snaps less than some of the you know guys on the higher on that list. It's just, they just come at you with wave, a wave of pass rushers. And you saw it, like Russell Wilson was running for his life. At one point, the Broncos had negative 18 yards in the second half before they went on that you know, one scoring drive there. And Hackett did the smart thing. He took the ball out of Zach Wilson's hands. He basically, we are going to hand it off to Brees Hall 18 times in a row if we have to, which yes. is a smart thing. And Wilson made a bonehead pass at the end, got picked off by Sertan instead of throwing it to the back shoulder. And they survived that because the defense yeah. was awesome. Yes. But he did, he basically reduced the mistakes for the most part. He did fumble once, but he got it back. I thought he played all right. I know you certainly do not like Zach Wilson, and he has given no Jets fan reason to be that excited. But I look, the interception was not. He's thrown some really horrific interceptions. Like that was definitely not one of them. I mean, it wasn't a great. Pass. It was a great play by Sertan. Yes, it was. It was equally as well of a play by Sertan as it was a. Uh, a, you know, bad throw, especially it's Garrett Wilson. Like, you're just going to put it in the area and trust him. It was a great play by the DB. He made some really clutch throws. There was that one third down where he hit Tyler Conklin over the middle for a huge gain. So he had to hang in there and make some big throws. He had one to Alan Lazard. So, look, it's you're talking baby steps here, but the things that we've seen in the past, especially early in the season, like, he has corrected a lot of those. So I feel speaking pretty good. Speaking of bad passes, how about your guy Sam Hartman uh, playing look, egg in Louisville over the weekend? It's it, that was a tough one. Pretty bad, that was pretty a tough south one. with them uh, offensively. Yeah, it is. They've not been able to run the ball as consistently, which is kind of shocking. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into that one. Yeah, too much. I was more it's shocked that because... Louisville put thirty-three points on them because they've been scuffling to score on like most teams, and Notre Dame's defense had actually been. It got away long. from them later in the game where it was. Notre Dame's defense was like, hey, keeping them in it. Their offense wasn't doing anything. And then, you know, Louisville broke, like, off turnover, scored some points late. I don't think the defense played as bad as the offense did, certainly. it's In college football, it's tough. Because Notre Dame's 5-2. and two. You know, one of those losses to Ohio State. They have USC coming up. But because of the nature of the college football playoff, like, that's it. Like, you're at it. Like, your hope of being in the playoff and contending for a national title is now gone. You just want to close season strong and get a good bowl game. So that's why I think the expanded playoff would be great because you don't put teams that are good out of it 
you know, based on their schedule and whatnot. And then you're not looking at the end of the season going, well, this team won clearly a lesser conference than this team who had multiple losses because strength of schedule. So, but that's neither here nor there. They did not play well. So they do not deserve to be in any of those. Uh, well, uh, Northwestern's um, playoff hopes are still alive after our rousing 23 to 20 win over FCS team Howard on homecoming. Pound your chest, sir. Yeah, baby. I think we were favored by 24. <laughs> we barely got out alive. It was got to take care of business. It was our 25th. It was the 25th reunion of the class of 1998. Unfortunately, I was not able to make it out there. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't really paying the money to go watch, to go to Evanston to watch us play Howard. That's just not going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's not exactly right around the corner. I, the, the, the unfortunate part is Ben Bryan, our starting quarterback, got hurt when Penn State pile drived him like into the molten core of the earth. But he, if he, if we had him. There is an actual outside path to six and six because we still have Nebraska, Purdue, and Illinois on our schedule. And those three shout teams, out the Big Ten and West, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, there would be a chance, like, at least a prayer to maybe beat them and get to six and six. But if we don't have him, that's probably it. Although, honestly, given the expectations after all the turmoil and Fitzgerald getting bounced out of there and all that, I thought we were going like 0 and 12. So, you know, if we could even get to like five wins, I think that's not a bad season given the situation. Um, especially watching us get squashed by Rutgers, who has subsequently now been getting stomped by all the decent teams in the Big Ten. Um, the the game though from Saturday that is beyond nuts is that oh, Miami Georgia Tech I, game. Mario Cristobal, what are you doing? And for the second time in your career, you did the same thing with your Oregon. Take a knee, just take a knee. Even I don't care how confident you are in your like hello, Pisarchik, Herm Edwards, like this has been documented. Like, you just don't do it. Like, and instead it's, of taking it's the a most, knee, it's the play you should be most excited about. Victory formation. Yeah, like, we gather the around the quarterback, take a knee, and he doesn't do it. His quote of now, I don't want I don't get this wrong, so I don't remember if I was reading the story talking about when it happened originally at Oregon or if it was from this. I think it was from the, the first game at Oregon. I know he acknowledged like yeah, we should have taken a knee. But when it happened the first time in his previous head coaching stop, it was like, well, like we just needed that first down and like the game was over. It's like, no, no, the game was over already. Like you just take a knee. Oh, that's egregious. I mean, you know, it was Murphy's law. The minute he fumbled that ball was that Georgia Tech is scoring on this possession. Like, yeah. and not only that, you let the guy get behind the defense of a team that can't throw to save their lives. And they bang you for a 44-yard TD. Like, oh, my God. Just a bad time to be a Hurricanes fan. Oh, my. And they were unbeaten. And for that to be your first loss is just brutal. And then you got to go back back to the NFL for a second. How about Kenny Pickett? You know, yes. Ocean Zone Kenny Pickett. You know, last week came off the field with a knee injury. Like, didn't look good. And then, thankfully, everything was fine. Back out here uh, this Sunday in a huge game against Baltimore. You know, kind of rivalry that is. You know, it's one of the most physical – matchups you're ever going to see and he came through with a massive touchdown pass to george pickens late in the game and they win 17 10 they're three and two so pickens played awesome he's really in, i mean he endeared himself to that city when he was in college at Pitt. but he's even you know he keeps yeah, taking he to really, another level with his clutch play he scuffled in that game his kind of the mo for that team has been like the defense plays their butts off and keeps them in it and then kenny like comes alive in the fourth quarter and just goes off and gets yeah. like multiple TDs. 
And yet, and Pickens has become his guy. I think he had a hundred. I think Kenny threw for like two twenty four, and Pickens had like one sixty of it, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's a heck um, of a combo, and they developed that good rapport last season. And even going back to he was in high school, that was kind of Kenny Pickett's mo. Like he was clutch. Like he found a way to get it done. And then you saw it right away in college. He had to burn his red shirt early. He led that comeback win. I believe it was, it was over Miami. Was Miami, yeah, they yeah. shot. And him. then you know. Obviously, the, the huge career and, and the Heisman Trophy finalist, you know, as a senior. So, yeah, it's it's always awesome to see our guys doing great at the next level, whether it's college or certainly the professional level. But we've never had a short conference player, our quarterback, doing what he's doing, you know, at the highest level of the game. So, shout out to Mr. Uh, Pickett and uh, great to see him healthy and, and leading his team to wins. Yeah, he just uh, wins, you know, yeah. like that. that's always been his thing. You know, he'll just find a way. It's kind of wild to think that I was at the game when he first got put in the lineup uh, in Pittsburgh last year. Uh, yeah. I went out. I had extra t- uh, friends had a- tickets to the Jets Steelers, and we'd never gone to a Steelers game. So I went with my wife, and we sat in these like insane seats, and they put him in, and he s- scores on a quarterback sneak against the Jets, spikes the ball, the place is going naturally. Bizarre. Yes, uh, it's always yeah. got to be like the former shore guys, like burning like the Jets, whether it was yes. Mike Kosicki on the Dolphins and the yeah. Pickett's first start. Like, come on. Like, yeah. Jets got the win, though. I will say that. That is true. Um, that is true. But uh, yeah, that I'm happy for him because you're right. I, with that knee injury, you're just hoping that wasn't going to be severe. Uh, and to see him back out there battling through it, but he's a he's just a fourth quarter guy. That's been his career so far. He plays like his quarterback rating in the fourth quarter compared to the rest of his rating must be like double. It's it's insane. He just he locks in and just makes plays. Um, so yeah, that was uh that's a huge win there in first place in that division, where mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people would have thought at, even at this earliest juncture of the season that they would be there. He's a winner, and I think that's the you know, uh one of the highest compliments you can play pay a professional athlete. So uh, the NHL starts this week, but we will oh. not, we will not, uh, I will not subject Scott to my ramblings on like the Rangers, like six defensemen and like what the third line's going to look like. <laughs> so we might, I might pop on here and there with some stuff, but I will still not. the only person I've ever, you're still the only person I've ever known who had the center ice package, which is like where you get yes. all the games in college. I was not in the Rangers area. So luckily we had a bunch of our, uh, our guys, uh, you know, sharing the house together, we're hockey fans, so we all pitched in on it. But it's like, yeah, I will say, like, I record and watch like every Rangers game, unless like I know they got like blown out and I just don't have the time. But yeah, I'm a lunatic like that. I'll watch the game. Like, don't tell me the final score. I'm watching the next morning recording. So yeah, I'm looking. I try, I try to watch all the Knicks games, but there are definitely some seasons where you, that's just hazardous for your health to, to do that <laughs> for like a whole year. But although lately, much better. Hey. Yeah, that last year was certainly encouraging. So they'll get going. What NBA season starts early November? Yeah, the October. end of October, like yeah. the last like week of October. So, yeah, man, falls in the air. Like the weather, you know, football's in full swing. You got hockey and basketball starting. You know, October baseball, which in in the efforts of not making this podcast go like into the two hour range, we won't talk about that. But it's a fun time of year for a sports fan. Where coming up soon, you're gonna have like everything going. You know, pretty much. So it's. Oh, yeah. This is a big reason why I think I've kept my cable package because I want to change the channel to like eight different games. Like every time there's a commercial that I'm firing on another channel, 
I mean, there is that YouTube TV that has like the grid where there's like six games going at the same. But I feel like I'm like, you know, Marty McFly or something in Back to the Future 2 when he's like telling the TV to put 12 things on at the same time. Like I can't handle I can't do the grid where there's like six games going at once and you're trying to like focus on one of them. Information overload. ESPN is actually debuting their own like red zone version of like NHL games with like John Butchergrass hosting it. So when I'm like, you know, going crazy about like the Winnipeg Calgary game, <laughs> I expect you to at least have some kind of info on that. Okay. We got to talk about the late, like Pacific, like Canadian Pacific teams. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get paid enough to do that. That's not going to happen. Fair enough. All right. We might, might as well wrap it up right there before we just start really going down tangents and rabbit holes and all that may be comedic for the audience. We got some other things to do. So thanks again for listening to us, uh, you know, wrap up short conference football and ramble about some other nonsense along the way. Big week seven coming up in terms of a, you know, just a, you know, a few games that, you know, you got to keep your eye on and, Start looking forward to the playoffs. So we'll be here to document it all. Make sure you head to shoresportsnetwork.com for everything Shore Conference football. For Bob, uh, for Scott Stump, I'm Bob Batters. We'll see you guys again next week.